Welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast, where you'll find fresh messages uploaded weekly. Pathway Church is a Bible-based church located in Peterborough, Ontario, and we're on a mission to reach people far from God and see them become devoted followers of Jesus. We hope that what you hear today will help you to take one step closer to Jesus. Thanks so much for joining us, and if you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe. Well, we have just experienced the passing of time. One minute to be precise. Did that feel as long for you as it did for me? (laughs) When I thought of this idea of like just letting a clock run for 60 seconds, I thought, oh, this will be impactful. And then when it actually happened, it was like, wow, that was really, really long. Uh, Time is an amazing thing. Sometimes it feels like it's going really slow, and other times a minute can just disappear uh, so fast. In fact, as I've been talking to different people over the last couple of weeks just saying, hey, how's your summer been? How's your summer been? Uh, I've been getting lots of different answers about how people's summers have been going, uh, but one of the most common answers that I've heard over and over again for many of you is, oh, summer was really good, the weather was great, all that stuff, but it was super busy. Like I was slammed, like I was so much going on, uh, or it was really good, but you know, I just wish it was a little longer, wish I had a little more time. And so what we've discovered is that often time just seems to fly by and we often don't have all the time that we would like to have. Over the next four weeks, uh, however, I want to talk about um, time. I want to talk about time, and this, this message series is called Time Well Spent. We have just wasted one minute of your time uh, watching that video of the clock ticking away. Uh, there was really no purpose other than to set the stage for this conversation. Uh, my hope is that over the next 30 minutes or so as I'm talking to you, that this would not be a waste of time. In fact, my hope for you and for us is that uh, through the content that we're going to talk about today, as we think about it, as we ponder it, as we make changes in how we use and spend our time, that somehow through this, we would leverage the time that you have in your life and use it well and spend it well. So over the next four weeks, we're going to focus in on what I believe is the most valuable thing that we possess, time. And one of the first things we're going to learn is that we don't actually possess any of it. Because time is not like money, it's not like stuff, you can't buy more of it. You can't save it for later. You can't manufacture more. You have only the time that you have. And as much as we'd like to think that we could control time, we really can't. And so there are certain things, as as time comes to us, we can use it wisely or we can waste it. But we do not actually have control or possess time. That's really the first thing that we're going to discover. Uh, We wasted one minute this morning, but thankfully there are 10,080 minutes in a week. And each one of us will determine how we use our time, how we spend those minutes, how we spend those hours, days, months, and years as we move through our lives. Time is an interesting thing. Time is both fair and unfair. Let me explain. It's fair in the sense that all of us have the exact same amount of time in a day. Have you noticed this? And we all get the same 24 hours. We all get 60 minutes in an hour. We all get seven days in a week. It's very fair. Nobody in here gets 25 hours a day. Nobody gets eight days in a week. We all get the same amount of time to use each day. But it is also unfair in the sense that we do not all get the same number of days. Have you noticed this? Some lives are cut short tragically before they even ever really get started other people make it to their 20s and 30s 40s tragedy strikes disease strikes accidents happen and people lose their lives and so what we discover as we look at the world and as we look at our lives and our experience on this planet is that we don't all get the same number of days and that seems very unfair to me and yet it's the world we live in so time is very fair 
we all have the same amount. And, and frankly, some of us use our time very well. We're using those, those 24 hours in a day very, very well, and others are just wasting it away. We're going to talk about all of that through this series. In fact, we're going to start very big today. We're going to talk about some theology. We're going to talk about uh, how time looks in, in comparison with eternity. And over the next three weeks, we're going to dive into so many more practical things like how we prioritize and manage our time and track our time and, and the different types of time we need to set aside. So we'll get very practical as we move through the message series. So here's the question, though, that I wanted to ask today, just to kind of get us started, to get the juices flowing. Here it is. If time is so valuable, why do we waste so much of it? If time is so valuable, if we can't make more of it, if we can't control it, if we're not even guaranteed tomorrow, why would we waste so much of it? Now, I understand that waste is, a, is, is kind of a moving target because we all think of a waste of time in different ways. For me, one of the big wastes of time that I view in my life is shopping. Yeah, it's true. I'm not much of a shopper. In fact, if I can buy it online and have it delivered to my door, that is a, that is a good day for me. Uh, I don't like shopping. If I'm going to go and buy some, I, I know where it is in this store, and I have a plan. And my plan includes getting in and out as quickly as possible. Grab the one product, try not to look at anything else. Pay for it, get out the door. And then I check my watch. It's like, wow, I did that in three minutes. And it's like a golf score. The lower the time, <laughs> the better I have done. Now, my wife, on the other hand, she appreciates shopping in a different way. It's not a waste of time for her. She enjoys the experience of going to the store. She walks the aisles and looks at things. Inevitably, she always meets somebody, probably in this room, or somebody we know from somewhere in her history, and starts a long conversation. And I'm sitting there the whole time going, I'm over par. I'm over par. We need to get out of here. Um, So she's just enjoying this moment. For her, this is a great thing to do. For me, it's a waste of time. The ultimate waste of time for me is Ikea. Because if you like to shop like I do, and you know where that item is, and you're going to grab it and get out in a hurry, it is a terrible story. It was designed by the devil himself, okay? (laughs) Because, Because they said, hey, let's make a maze of housewares. Let's make people wander in circles, and let's take the products they're looking for and spread them all over the store in random places, and we'll have shortcut exits that lead you to nowhere, and... And to make it worse, let's make the store two floors so we can get lost twice. And then, and then when you get to the end of the store, you made it through alive, you know? Uh, there's a warehouse full of boxes with weird Swedish names. And you're going, where's the box? And, and of course, if there's six boxes you need to put that item together, there's always one box that's out of stock. And, it, and, and my wife loves it. <laughs> she loves it. I mean, she loves going in there. And I'm just like, oh my goodness, get me out of here, right? So... So I view that as a waste of time. Uh, for me, sitting down and watching a Leafs game is a really great spend of, of an evening. And she's like, that is just, yeah, I got a few people cheering. My wife's just like, why, why? Like for her, that, so, so I understand that. But uh, I did a little bit of research this week online, just kind of grabbed some of the generic ways that, that we waste our time as a society, okay? So check these out. The first one shouldn't be a surprise to anyone, but um, it says that three to four hours a day, people engage with media, that is... TV, cell phone, computer, just random, you know, just entertainment, surfing the web, you know, uh, Snapchat, whatever it is. So three to four hours a day, it's a huge chunk of your day, all right? Statistically, that's the average. 90 minutes a day, if you're at work, you're trying to get things done at work, move the needle forward, um, statistically, about 90 minutes of your day is wasted with interruptions. Just people coming over and talking to you, and then you can't get back to your work, and you get lost your train of thought, and that's a big portion of your day wasted. Here's another interesting fact. Um, New York Post reports that 
35 minutes of your day is wasted trying to decide what to eat. <laughs> that's true. Some of you are like, that's it? Um, and so you can imagine if you were to fast and pray. This is why you have so much time to pray when you're fasting because you just save 35 minutes, right? Plus all the time it takes you to chew and all the time it takes to do the dishes and put all the pots and pans. I mean, you got hours and hours of time to spend with God, so I encourage you to fast. It's good. <laughs> Nobody's excited about that. Um, here's one more. The average woman spends 16 minutes a day deciding what to wear. And the men apparently take 14 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's longer than I thought. So, so why do we, why, if time is so valuable, why do we waste it? Here's, here's my hypothesis, and I think you'll see that it's true. We waste time because we think we have so much of it. We waste time because we think we have so much of it. Uh, honestly, um, there's this law of economics called the law of supply and demand. It's one of the laws of economics. A uh, law of si- uh, supply and demand says that if you have a lot of something, if something is very common, very easily accessible, then that thing, its value goes down. And if something is rare, if something is hard to get, its value goes up. Uh, to illustrate this point, uh, I brought this uh, Roberto Alomar rookie card. Yeah, when I, was, when I was 11, 12 years old, man, the Jays were awesome. They won a couple championships um, a few years following that. And Roberto Alomar was the shortstop. This guy was awesome. He was dynamic. And when I got a hold of his rookie card, I put it in this plastic case, you know, to protect it. And at the time when I got it, it was worth a few dollars, which was good back then. It was the 80s. And... Uh, I'm aging, I'm aging myself. Um, so I got this card and it was worth some money and I thought to myself, I'm going to protect this and I'm going to store it away. I'm going to make sure that my parents don't sell my cards, get rid of my cards when I go off to college uh, because I know that someday this is going to be worth a lot of money. And I thought to myself, when I'm old, like 40, <laughs> when I'm 40, when I'm old, this card will be worth thousands of dollars. I'll be able to sell it and put my kids through college. And so... You know, I got a son going into grade 11, so I better pull out these cards. So, so I pulled this out. I was really excited to find it again. And I went online, and I'm like, okay, the moment of truth. Let's see what this thing is worth. You want to know how much this thing is worth now? $1.25. <laughs> Apparently, everyone has these. Apparently, you have one somewhere in your house. You just go looking. You'll find a Roberto Alomar rookie. Because there were so many printed. Because so many people hung on to them, they're really worthless because there's so many and they're not hard to get anymore. On the other hand, if something is hard to find, its value goes up exponentially. A number of years ago, there was this thing that was really, really popular. They were called fidget spinners. Yeah, everyone's going, oh, first service did that too. They're like, oh, not fidget spinners. Fidget spinners came out and all the kids are sitting in class, spin, 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 spin. Everyone wanted one and they couldn't manufacture them and get them on the shelves fast enough because of the fat. And I remember I, I found one, and I bought one for one of my kids. It was about five bucks. Um, this is a number of years ago. Gave it to my kid. They went to school that day, and someone at school, because they were so hard to find, offered my kid money and bought it. So my kid comes home, I'm like, where's the fidget spinner? He's like, oh, I sold it. I'm like, what? I, I bought that for you. It was a gift. He said, oh, you, it was a $5 fidget spinner. He said, somebody offered me 20 bucks. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, all right, all right, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> That's a good deal, right? <laughs> Buy low, sell high. You know, it's, this is very wise. Um, so I couldn't even be mad about it. But, you know, here's the funny thing. Um, just a couple weeks ago, I was in the mall, and I went in this store, and they had a whole wall of fidget spinners. Cool ones. I mean, ones that if they had had a number of years ago, everyone would have been clamoring to have them. And they were just sitting there on the shelves. And I asked the lady at the till, I said, how much? She said, oh, $5. Huh. 
It's okay. And she said, or you can buy them five for five dollars. So I bought five of them. I, that was a good deal. And I gave them to my kids and they were like, these aren't cool anymore, dad. Um, <laughs> it's amazing though how, how, how supply and demand works. And, and I honestly think that that is why, that is why we waste so much time. We waste so much time because we think we have so much of it. We think if I waste this moment, there's just another moment and another moment and thousands more moments just like it, so it doesn't really matter. But in actual fact, it does. And, and ultimately, here's the big idea that I want to share with you today. We'll come back around to it, and it's simply this. The way we view time will determine the way we use time. So the way we approach it, the way we think about it, the way we evaluate our time will actually determine how we use it, whether we use it wisely or whether we waste it. And so what I want to do today is we're going to do some theological work. We're going to, we're going to literally walk through an entire chapter in the Old Testament, Psalm 90, and we're going to look at the author who is explaining to the nation of Israel. He's trying to put this context of time and eternity into a way that, that we could understand it, that would help us so that we would leverage our time and use it well. And so to give you a bit of backstory before we read this, it's found in the Psalms, and many of you know in the Old Testament there's this book called the Psalms, and it's full of songs and poetry lyrics. Many of them are attributed to King David, the second king of Israel, who was a, a musician and a harpist. But this particular psalm that we're about to read, in my Bible, it says this as an introduction to Psalm 90. It says, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Moses had lived many, many centuries before David. And this, this prayer that Moses prays that we're going to be walking through today, he, he prays it, and this prayer is, is preserved for us in the psalms. Now, to give you a little bit of backstory so that you can understand why this psalm is going to seem so dark. So as you read it, some of you are, might start slipping into depression, and I'm going to try to encourage you. We're going to work through it, because it does get happy at the end, okay? But to give you some context, Moses was born in Egypt in Pharaoh's household. He was imported into Pharaoh's household as a baby, but grew up in Pharaoh's court, very wealthy, very highly educated. At the age of 40, he realizes he's not actually an Egyptian, and he leaves and he goes to live with his people who are enslaved in Egypt. And so he's, he's working in the mud pits. He's working as a slave with his people. He ends up killing an Egyptian and fleeing for his life. He's going to spend the next 40 years of his life shepherding sheep in the wilderness of Midian. 40 years. So now, think about this. Moses is now 80 years old and God shows up and speaks to Moses and says, Hey Moses, i got a job for you to do. Now I don't know about you. But I'm thinking when I'm 80 years old, if I make it that long... I'll kind of be wrapping things up, if you know what I mean, <laughs> slowing down a little bit. And God's like, hey, I, I've, got, I've got something for you to do. And Moses is probably thinking like you and I, well, Shady Acres sounds pretty great. <laughs> you know, they have lawn bowling and, and, and God says, I got a job for you to do. Oh, okay, what's the job? I'm going to send you to stand before Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. You're going to lead a million, two million men, women, children, seniors out of Egypt against their will through a Red Sea, that's kind of a cool miracle, through a wilderness and desert where there's no food and water, and then you're going to go and conquer a land that's full of fortified cities and walls and armies. Okay, uh, that's not the plan I had, but okay. And so now Moses does this. He goes and he leads them from Egypt. They go to Mount Sinai. They get the Ten Commandments. Now they get right to the edge of the promised land, the land that is now called Israel. And they can see the land. They're on this side of the river, and they send some spies over to do some reconnaissance work. All right, so the spies are wandering around, checking out this city, checking out that city. What are we up against? 
They come back, and out of the 12 spies that went in, 10 of them had a bad report. They said, the walls are too high. The armies are too strong. The soldiers are big. We won't be able to accomplish what God has told us we can accomplish. And two of them, Joshua and Caleb, said, no, no, no. God took care of Pharaoh. God brought us through the wilderness and fed us, protected us. We can take the land. Guess which report the people of Israel listened to? The negative one. And because of that, because of their lack of faith and trusting God, they end up wandering in the desert, literally just circling around in the desert for 40 years. And Moses, who might have thought that it was going to be like a one-year process, and we're in the land and everything's good, he's now going to lead his generation around the wilderness for 40 years, watching his generation die. Consider this. A whole generation is going to die. As the nation moves around, there's just a trail of graves following them everywhere they go. And then, under Joshua's leadership, they go in and take the land. So somewhere in the midst of this, it's believed that Moses is actually writing this psalm. And so he's going to try to put life, and he's going to try to put time into context as he is leading the people through the wilderness as his people are dying off around him. Is that helpful for context? So when, when I read it, you're going to be like, oh, okay, it's a little dark, but I get it. Moses is seeing some stuff. And here he's 80 to 120 years old, somewhere in that range. And as he writes, there is a wisdom and and a foresight, and an ability to see the big picture that is absolutely amazing for us. So let's dive into it today. We're going to walk through verse by verse. We'll begin in Psalm 90, beginning in verse 1. Here's what he says. Moses prays. This is a prayer. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Now, the nation of Israel, the descendants of Abraham, they had never had a home. They had never had a land of their own. In fact, they've been in Egypt as slaves, and now they're wandering around the wilderness. Someday they're hoping to have a home, but Moses says, forget that. He says, you are our home. He says, it doesn't matter where you put me if I have you, God. This is a big idea. In fact, it's huge because Moses never actually goes into the promised land and has a home of his own. He says, God, you're my home. You're the one that I turn to. Imagine if if we lived our lives like that. If in spite of the things we're chasing after, in spite of the things we love and pursue, that we understood that God is our our home. He's our dwelling place. He said, in all generations, he continues in verse 2, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. He says, before the earth was formed, you're God. After the earth is gone, you're God. What people don't realize is that um, Moses is also attributed as the author of the book of Genesis. So when we read about God speaking the world into existence and setting the moon and the stars and all that in place and putting time and material in motion, Moses is like, you did all that, but before all that happened, you were still God. And we don't know what the future of the world is. You know, the earth might eventually, you know, spin off into the universe or crash into the sun or something, but whatever happens, you encouraged? Whatever, I don't know. Whatever happens, he says, before time began and after all of this is done, you're still God. Moses is looking at the big picture and going, man, if we could just catch a glimpse, if we could just catch a glimpse. See, Moses has a a big God, a high view of who God is. Let me ask you a question. Do you have a big God? Do I have a big God? Because here's what I know. My tendency, and it's probably yours, is to make me big and God small. You know, for, for thousands of years, people all over the earth thought 
that the universe revolved around the earth. Because of course, we would be the center of everything. And it's like that in our lives. Left to our own devices, we make our life, we make our money, we make our stuff, we make our relationships, we make everything. Our purpose is all revolving around us. And Moses is like, whoa, whoa. Before anything started spinning, you were there. And after it's gone, you're there. Kingdoms have risen and fallen, and he's still on his throne. Nations have come and gone. The United States has been a world power for a, for a while now, but if that changes, God's not fallen off his throne because nations have come and gone, languages have come and gone, and he still is on his throne. He has this huge view of God. What do you think would happen if our view of God became greater? Moses begins there. And then, and then, this is great. He says this, he says um, in verse 3, now we've talked about God, he's eternal, he's over all things, he's super powerful, he's, he is all-knowing, and then he says about us, you return man to dust, and say return, O children of man. Remember, Abraham, or sorry, Moses was the one who, who more than likely penned the words that God formed the first man from the dust of the ground. And now he says, just like he brings life into the world, he says you return man to dust, you're God even over the length of our lives. God, you're eternal. We are temporary. Our lives, our physical lives, the lives that we're currently living and holding on to are, are but temporary as compared to God. Verse 4, he continues, for a thousand years, it's a millennium, in your sight are but as yesterday. You remember what happened yesterday? You know, there's a lot of times I look back and I'm like, I don't really remember what happened yesterday. Do you remember what happened yesterday? He says, a thousand years are like that for God. He's like, oh, that just, that just happened. Like he's, he's, he's so far beyond time. Or as a watch in the night, that's three hours of time. Verse five, again, in reference to time, he says, you sweep them away, the years, as with a flood. They're like a dream. Like grass that is renewed in the morning. You ever see grass sprout up in the morning and then the sun gets really hot and it's like, and it withers away. Moses is like, that's us. Encouraging. <laughs> in the morning it flourishes and is renewed in the evening it fades and withers that's what happens when we get old we fade and wither <laughs> more encouragement for you i told you it gets a little dark first but we're going somewhere life is like that grass just pops up and whew, fades away notice he didn't say we're like an oak tree that we're like baby grass pops up and fades away now he's going to explain why this is why the world is like this why we experience life like this. He says this in verse 7. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. What he's talking about is how, again, from the beginning, going back to Genesis, the first man and woman sinned. And because of their sin, uh, judgment came into the world, including death, disease, insects, thorns, baldness, painful childbirth, all that fun stuff that we love. It came into the world, and we live in a world that is broken and fallen in sin. That is true, and it is ultimately because of sin. And we all live in this reality of a broken and sinful world. Is it fair? I don't think it feels very fair. Why should I live with the punishment of other people's sins? And then he gets really specific in the next verse by saying this, in case we're thinking that way. He says, you have set our iniquities before you our secret sins in the light of your presence. Not only is, is God's judgment coming on the sin of the world, but each one of us has sin in our heart, and each one of us, God sees everything, knows everything, thoughts, what you did last weekend, what you didn't do that you should have done the week before that. He sees it all. 
You go, wow, Moses, this is quite the prayer that you're praying. Verse 9, all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. (sighs) Life is over. Verse 10, the years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength, 80. You know, we're fortunate. You're fortunate if you get to 70, 80 and beyond. Yet, he says, their span is toil and trouble, and they are soon gone, and we fly away. Moses' point is simply this. We live in a difficult life, in a difficult world. Each of us is walking towards the end of our days. We don't know where it is, but here's what we know. It's shorter than we think, and we're not guaranteed tomorrow. And God is great, and he's over it all, and we are like grass, boop, boop, gone. All right, so notice this is a prayer, but he hasn't asked for one thing. All he's doing is telling us facts. He's like, oh, we should remember this and this and this and this. So we get in the right frame of mind for what he's going to say next. He says, who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? He's like, if all of that is true, why don't we think about God more? If all that is true, why don't we change the way we behave? If this is true that our lives are short and we don't even have tomorrow that we can control. He says, wouldn't we live in a way that's different? Wouldn't we use our time differently? Wouldn't we turn to God instead of thinking everything revolves around us? And here's, here's where we land. And this was the verse I wanted to share with you. It just took me 20 some minutes to get to it. And here it is. He says, here's his prayer. So teach us to number our days that we may get or gain a heart of wisdom. In other words, he says, the more we realize our time is short, the more we realize how small we are by comparison to God and his, his work and his plan, uh, the more it puts us in the right perspective to, our line, uh, to align ourselves with him. We gain a heart of wisdom. My favorite movie, that's one of my favorite movies, it's called Joe versus the Volcano. How many of you have seen that? Okay. All right, like one person. Okay. Um, it's got a couple of actors you probably never heard of, Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan. Yeah. They're famous for the movies they did after this one, but this is a great love story between Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan, and uh, so it's really cheesy, but I like it. I like cheesy movies, and so this is one that I like to watch from time to time, but the story goes like this. Joe has a terrible job. He has a terrible jerk boss. He works in this terrible place, and he doesn't feel well. He's hopeless. He goes to the doctor, and the doctor basically says, you have 90 days to live. Use them well. And so he goes back to his job, he tells off his boss, he asks the receptionist out on a date, and he goes on a vacation and jumps in a volcano. The point is this, you have to watch the movie to find out what happens, I'm not going to give you any more of the plot than that. Um, You can see why it was a blockbuster. Um, The point is simply this, the moment the doctor says these are the days you have left, his days had a number to them, and guess what he did? He used them differently. Moses says, the moment you begin numbering your days, the moment you realize you have less than you thought, the value of your time and how you spend it goes up. That's exactly what Joe does in the movie. Uh, Our our children's curriculum that we use is called Orange, and the founder's name is Reggie Joyner, and he does this thing where he talks about marbles, and he has this jar of marbles, and he says, when you have a kid, a child born into your home, you get this, this jar, and you put 900 and, let me see, what was the number? 900, I think it's 936 marbles in the jar, representing each week of the child's life until their 18th birthday. So you really have 936 weeks. As a church, we have 936 weekends to invest in your, child, to your, your children. 
in ours. And so you put these marbles in, and each week, after week one of the child's life, you take a marble out. After week two, take another marble out. So each week you take a marble out. So what you can do is you can see the passing of time and you can see the marbles you have left. And it creates an urgency. Oh my goodness, the marbles are getting low. My wife and I, and I'll tell you this, if, you're, if you have little children, can I just tell you, it goes faster than you think. My wife, Jessica, and I have four children and our oldest is in grade 11. The marbles are getting pretty low. And our other kids are growing up faster than we ever thought. In fact, we're losing our marbles. <laughs> it's, it's true. But having that number, seeing, seeing those marbles decrease, it, it triggers something. It goes, hey, wait a minute. Time is not unlimited. We don't have as much as we think. We need to use it and invest it wisely. So we waste time because we think we have so much of it. So I want to I quickly uh, cap off the rest, of the, uh, the rest of the chapter. Watch where he goes next. He says this in verse 13. He says, return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Even though we're technically under the judgment of sin in this world, he said, God, would you come to us? Moses knew that God was merciful and gracious and that he would extend his kindness and salvation to those who would turn to him. And he says, would you come to us? Would you come to us? Moses knows God doesn't owe me anything. But God, would you come to me? Would you have pity on your servant? Verse 14, he says this, Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Somehow, he's wandering in the wilderness. People are dying all around him. He's doing 50 funerals a week. And he says, God, would you satisfy me with your love? In the midst of terrible situations, he is able to have this perspective like, God, I can receive your love. I can have your joy and your hope in the midst of even this dark moment in time. He continues in verse 15, make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. In spite of everything that's going on in his life, he's turning to God for hope, for encouragement, for strength, and for love. And here's where he finishes in the 17th verse, or I guess the 16th verse. Let your work be shown to your servant and your glorious power to their children. He says, God, what I need to do is see your eternal plan. What I need to do is see how big you are, how small I am, to figure out where I fit in this thing that you are doing in this life and into eternity. And then he closes with this 17th verse saying, let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. So he's taken us through this journey of saying, here's who God is, here's who we are. He's eternal, we are mortal. He's going nowhere, we are not lasting long. And he talks about sin and the judgment of God and how we live under it. And then he turns and he says, but if we would, if we would understand what's really going on, we would turn our hearts towards God, receive his mercy, his love, his hope, his forgiveness, and something good is coming from it favor of the Lord be upon us and establish the work of our hands. You know, if your life is only about you, if you are the center of your story, if you are the star actor in your story, it's a pretty short story. But when we realize that we're part of something, a grand narrative that God has begun at the beginning of time, and whenever time ends as we know it, we enter into eternity and we're part of that story, then the question becomes, God, how do I use this limited bit of time, the whoop, whoop, how do I use that little bit of time that I have that you have given me for your glory? How do I connect with your plan? You know, I'm not a big football guy. 
I don't watch a lot of football, don't understand. In fact, in the first service, I, I said the wrong position, but I was thinking about that row of guys that lines up and just crashes into each other's heads. And apparently they're called linemen, not linebackers. So just throwing that out there. So you got these linemen, so these giant guys that work out all year for 16 games to just crash into and hug the guy in front of them. That's all they do. And they're like wrestling somewhere on a line, and all this football stuff is happening. There's balls being thrown, guys running, people making calls. And, and that's what they're doing. And if all they were doing is wrestling with a guy in the middle of a field, it's pretty pointless. But when they understand that they're part of a grand narrative, they understand that there is a whole team that's depending on them stopping the guy in front of them, all of a sudden what they're doing has incredible value and purpose, doesn't it? Without them, the game doesn't work right. And Moses is saying, look, if, if I could understand that even though my life is short and even though I won't see everything I want to see, but when I understand that I have a part to play in your story, it brings purpose and meaning and value to this very short life that I have and when I see how short my days are, I will maximize their use for the good of others and for the glory of God. So the way we view time will ultimately determine the way we use time. That's why this conversation is so important. And so I want to end with this question. Um, it's pretty simple. How would you spend your time if you knew it was limited? And I knew even in asking that question, how would you use your time if you knew it was limited, I knew that that would be difficult because there may be some people in this room who are older or maybe who have had a bad diagnosis and you're like, actually, I do know the number or an approximate number for how long I will be here. And I thought, well, that could be insensitive to even talk about it because that's difficult to process. But, but chances are, if that's where you are, then you're already thinking, how do I use my time wisely? See, the rest of us just think that we, we have unlimited time, but we really don't. And if we stop long enough to think about it, we realize that we're not even guaranteed tomorrow. So the way we think about our time will ultimately determine the way that we use it. Thanks for listening to the Pathway Church Podcast. If you'd like to reach out to us, go to our website, pathwaylife.com. And as always, don't forget to subscribe. See you next week.